0: That up. And in this book, we see Paul um, really as a as a sort of like a father figure watching out for his kids. And Paul is is adamant, Paul is fiery, Um, Paul is serious about communicating to his kids a message of protection, a message of warning that they they have been deceived, they've been tricked into believing some stuff that wasn't necessarily true about the gospel. And so um, we've been been working through this book. It's it's actually a very challenging book. This is the one book that uh, Paul, as he writes, he doesn't start off with these glowing words of praise. He doesn't doesn't start off with all this uh, affection and adoration and encouragement. He just gets right to the point and says, listen... I'm, he doesn't say this, this, is my paraphrase. I'm upset about some things that have happened. I'm, I'm upset about how easily you've been deceived and believe these lies from these false teachers. And, and he, from that point on, just goes after it and, and seeks to address the issue and resolve the issue because he and, and uh, Barnabas had visited um, this area uh, called Galatia And several churches were born out of their visit. And after he left, some things happened that he wasn't wasn't too pleased with. So um, some teachers called the Judaizers came in and began to teach them a false gospel where it was, you got to be saved by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and being circumcised. And so they were trying to add to the gospel that Paul taught them. And I just want to say as a word of warning that this happens all the time around us. There are churches in Syracuse that add to the gospel. It's Jesus plus something. There are religions that knock on your door on a weekly basis or semi-weekly basis. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormon, they add to the gospel. In fact, another way, not only the addition to the gospel um, that can be a key uh, indicator or flag to you that you're dealing with some cultish teaching... But another way to um, decipher whether you're dealing with some cultish teaching is that if the Bible doesn't stand alone as God's word, Amen. meaning if there's another book, well we believe the Bible and this, they're both inspired, or these, these multitudes including the Bible are inspired by God. That should be a red flag to say, uh, wait a second, we've, we've got a problem here. And so, what happened in that day is still happening today, just in different ways. Do you understand that? That's why Galatians is still applicable to us today. Because anything that's added to the gospel that causes us, in order for our salvation to be earned, like we have to do something to earn salvation above and beyond receiving by faith the work that Jesus Christ has done for us, we need to look at that. Because Jesus paid the price for our sins. We can't earn forgiveness. We receive forgiveness. You understand this? So, so the teaching of Galatians is applicable to us today because there is false stuff out there all the time, all the time. And so we, we've got to watch out for that. Uh, we also looked at, in Galatians 2, uh, a very popular verse that says, I, I've been crucified with Christ, and I don't live anymore. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in essence, uh, Paul tells them that part of this life of walking with Christ is dying to our old ways. I I died to that old me, the person you knew 20 years ago, I'm nothing like today. Right? The person that I used to be, I'm I'm looking more like Jesus every day. You cannot look in the mirror and say, man, I hate the way I look unless you're not walking with Jesus, because you're made in his image and in his likeness, and you look more like Jesus every day. Amen? Amen. And Jesus, even the name of Jesus Christ throughout the world is known as someone, whether, you, whether the people believe in him or not, someone who came and did good things on the face of this earth. Amen. But we, we call him Savior and Lord and God, right? That's who he is to us. So um, the crucified life is what we're called to. Living the crucified life. And then um, finally, we talked uh, about walking in the spirit. And how as we're led by the spirit, we begin to... in, In fact, in those verses, I ran out of time a little bit. But there's three different phrases that are all very similar. Walking by the spirit, led by the spirit and fruit of the Spirit. As we're walking and being led by the Spirit, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's fruit in our lives. We begin to reflect the Holy Spirit uh, out from us, right? And our behaviors and our attitudes and in our inner thinking, we, we reflect the heart of God. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. So I want to close today in chapter 6 And chapter six, along with chapter five, are both the more practical chapters in this book of Galatians. Verses or chapters one through four are more, um, more theological. More, uh, uh, you know, there's these contrasts between flesh and spirit, law and grace. These various contrasts of of trying to earn salvation, being or uh, as opposed to receiving it by faith. But here in chapters 5 and 6, we're looking at the practicality of living out chapters 1 through 4. How do, based upon what you've taught us in chapters 1 through 4, how do we live this out? And therefore, we we learn to walk by the Spirit. We begin to bear fruit of the Spirit. We we begin to put behind us the misdeeds of the flesh. That was in chapter 5. Now, as we continue into chapter 6... Uh, Paul is is sharing a similar message. What does walking by the Spirit look like? What does living wholeheartedly for God look like? And he starts off very interestingly. He says in chapter 1, or verse 1, which I'm not going to display because this is not the main part of my message. But he says that if if any of you, writing to Christians, writing to people who fell in love with Jesus, if any of you uh, sins or falls into sin, um, those who are spiritual should restore them. This could be a, actually a message in and of itself. You know, sometimes we're quick to judge them. We're quick to condemn people who fell into sin. And Paul's saying, I want you to restore them. I want you to bear one another's burdens. I want you to care for people and and help bring them back to the place to their position in the family. You know. They're not outcasts. They're not, they're, not, they're not people that no longer belong amongst you. However. There is a point in time where that person. If they don't want to be. You can't restore someone who doesn't want to be restored. Right. You can't care for someone that. Writes you off and says I'm done. I'm done. And walks away. So you can only restore someone who's willing. They've fallen. They've repented. They're They're returning. And at that point, we we encourage them, we hold their hand, we help them, you know, and we work to restore them. The passage that I want to talk to you about is also a very popular passage, and it talks about sowing and reaping. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. The message that I'm going to share with you today is called, A Season of Harvest is Coming. Amen? Amen. A season of harvest is coming. And that's that's an emphatic truth that we'll look at in the Word of God today. And I want to start off with Galatians 6, verse 6. Turn in your Bibles there if you have them. Galatians 6, verse 6. There's some things worth circling and underlining in here. And it says here in verse 6, it says, Nevertheless... The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. The one who is taught the word of God should share good things with their instructor. I'm not here to take an offering. I'm not here to tell you to give me money. We're, we're here to look at what the, the context of this, this uh, passage talks about. And I do want to, you know, anytime we talk about things like this, The people who come in with the mindset, the church, the church, they're always looking for money. That's not us. I'm looking for blessing on your life. And you're going to see why when a season of harvest is coming, harvest is good. But there are ways to get harvest, right? Okay, so we're going to talk about how we sow seed and and things like that. But it says the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So... In essence, to be a disciple, Paul is saying, uh, means that your, your financial life and every aspect of your life is tied to being surrendered to God. It's connected to your worship. There are churches that during worship, um, people come and give offerings and lay offerings at the altar. I was at a service uh, maybe a year or two ago, and... They took an offering for a Chinese missionary, and I think there was $60,000 given that day to support that Chinese missionary. It was amazing. It was like, wow, that is incredible. You know what I mean? It's incredible. But Paul says that the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I want to say this, to be a lover of God is to be a giver. Part of the spirit working in us changes us to not be hoarders or keepers, but generous. I mean, is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, this is a reflection of his person, of who he is. He's a giving God. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to be uh, in a place where... Where we receive. And, and Paul's saying where you receive spiritual benefit, you should, uh, you should give financially. I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not fabricating the word. I'm not changing the word. I'm telling you what it, what it says. And we should be supporters of those who teach us financially. Now, by, by giving financially. Um, now, the Bible also says that the first place that we support. Because there's a lot of people that teach us, Right? If you read books, if you listen to uh, videos online and, and this and that, there's a lot of people that teach us. But, but the Bible teaches that first and foremost we give to our local church, right? How, how, do, how does a local church like this survive and exist? I remember years ago, I mean, we're sitting in a place that is absolutely a miracle. Um, I think it's uh, worth $2 million on according to the state right now or something like that. Um, we're on 79 acres, we're in a property that is 100% paid for. Um, that didn't just appear in poof, out of nothing. I mean, people worked their tail off. People gave sacrificially for us to be in this place. It's beautiful that we don't have to, um, you know, we don't have the pressure of a mortgage here. You know, that, that's amazing. And, and that's why we're, we're free to not have to shove giving down people's throats. We want people to be blessed, right? But I remember in that day, people were turning in gold chains. People were cashing in stocks. People were uh, sacrificing beyond your wildest dreams for us to get to a place of buying chairs and carpet and you know all these different things. It was broken down by project. Okay, we need X number of dollars for the roof and X number of dollars for this. And people gave and it was amazing. And it all came together and on the uh, Easter, Easter 1999, we had our first service, and it was a celebration because of the sacrifices of the people, you know, and thank God we don't have a mortgage today, but the work of the ministry continues, you know, and so I, I, I do want to be clear about this message and even this verse, I, I, don't want, I don't want you to give me money. The way this works, Paul's writing to people that were in full-time ministry, that weren't under the weren't employed by a church. The giving went directly to the people who were teaching the word of God. I'm I'm a beneficiary of being employed here, along with many other ministers, Mary and Melissa and Kelly and and uh, others that receive money to do ministry. You know, it's a blessing. It's an amazing blessing. So. Uh, don't give me a check, don't give me cash, okay? Please, I'm not asking for your money. I want to be clear about that because it's easy to get things in our head about what the the person who was preaching was saying. But um, so, so this principle Paul is talking about is not something he made up. He learned it from Jesus. When Jesus sent out the 70, he's like, I don't want you to take I don't want you to take food. I don't want you to take money. I don't want you to take extra clothes. Well, he said, take a, take a change of clothing but, or something like that. But he says the worker is worth his hire. There's other ways he said the laborer deserves his wages. Now, the funny thing is a lot of people think pastors really don't work that much. I've had people say, what do you do during the week? I mean, do you work there full time? I'm like, well, that's a valid question if you don't know, right? Uh, you know, uh, and I have people just think, well, you just show up on Sunday, preach the message, and you're good to go. And it's not that simple. In fact, there's, there's a lot of aspects, if you ever want to talk about it, we can, um, to being involved in ministry. There was a study that was done by a preaching institute, and they wired up this guy who was preaching, and he preached a 30-minute message, 30-minute message, And what they found, the the measurements that they were taking were uh, measuring uh, his level of passion and energy consumed in that 30 minutes, and this is what they found. They said, um, based upon how much emotion and energy was expended, it was equal to an executive who sits at his desk for eight hours, his or her desk, for eight hours, you know, dealing with the pressures of running a business and... The ins and outs and the tensions and the stress. Uh, One 30-minute message preaching is equivalent to an eight-hour workday for a CEO. Additionally, well, you think, well, come on, you're sitting at your desk. I mean, how tiring is that? Well, another another statement they came up with, um, preaching a 30-minute message is equal to the labor of a person who digs a ditch for 14 hours. I, I'm not making this up. I could show you where it came from. Uh, perhaps it's true. But just think about it that way. Like, there's, there's effort. So when Jesus says um, that uh, the laborer deserves it, there's work involved. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is what he said. He said, if we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? And I want to say, you know, as a part of the church, we're on a mission. We're seeking to change the world in which we live. Starting with the people right in this room and the people that are supposed to be in this room and the people someday that will be in this room. But also, we're we're expanding. It's not limited to a Sunday morning, our ministry. We're trying to impact our city. We're we're trying to change lives. We have a school of ministry now that's, um, I was so encouraged Monday night we had the first week of our school of ministry and there was like 35 students there, and just a a alive, excited, passionate uh, time together. And we're raising up disciples to change the world. That's that's what we're doing. And so it's more than you know we got to get the pastor his money or we got to pay a couple bills. We're, We're trying to change the environment, the culture by the by the goodness of God by the gospel of Jesus Christ, of those around us, you know? So so this is Paul's point. And he says in that passage, he says, the one who receives instruction in the word. And I want to just focus on the word for a moment or the word of God for a moment. That is the word in the Greek logos. And the word logos carries the idea or the meaning divine instruction of God. The word of God is the divine instruction of God. And the beauty of it is that we we get to be people that receive the divine instruction of God. If if we we have marital trouble, we go to the divine instruction of God. If we have relational trouble, financial trouble, uh, we're 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 fearful. We're struggling with something. There's no better place to go than the divine instruction of God. And there's Paul saying the instructors can help you learn and understand this divine instruction. Because they're putting time into it. Why does he say that they should receive something from the beneficiaries of the receivers of the word of God? Because that gives them time to study and to pray and invest in the word of God. I don't just show up on a Sunday morning, write a couple notes down. That'd be really cool if it could happen that way. I'm not that smart. I'm just not that smart, okay? But I invest hours in a message that I stand before you on Sunday and share with you. You know, so, so the word of God is this divine instruction. Verses 7 and 8 say this. Uh, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so we, we see this, this emphatic statement, do not be deceived, or it could, it could carry the idea, do not continue to be deceived or stop being deceived because the Galatians were being deceived. They were being deceived because they were receiving instructions from the false teachers. And once, one uh, commentary that I was reading said the false teachers were charging them to hear it's sort of like you buy a ticket. If you went to the SU game last night, you bought a ticket or were given a ticket. They were charging them to hear their teaching. Their teaching was destructive, right? He said, stop being deceived. Stop being deceived. Don't continue to be deceived by these teachers. And 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 so any source of funding, stop going to the real the people who were bringing the gospel. It was going to these false teachers. It was going to these false teachers and supporting, supporting them. They were charging to share the word of God. So he's saying, don't be deceived um, by not supporting the ministry of the word. We are deceived. That's the reality. By not supporting the ministry of the word in our city, in our church, there's an, there's an element of deception. Um, and, and please hear this. You know, I, I, I hate to have to qualify things. There's no condemnation in this room. You know that, right? Yes. That we are loved. I'm here to teach the word of God. And the Spirit's got to work in you to do something. That's, that's really what it comes down to, okay? So I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody. Um, I thank God that he, he has demonstrated the truths of what I'm going to share with you today in my life. So Paul is trying to help um, his, his sons and daughters in the faith. To not be deceived. He said, stop being deceived. God is not, or God cannot be mocked. He can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So, in, in essence, he's saying that disregarding his word and, and using his trust fund, like Amy Jo said earlier, it's his money, right? I mean, every penny that we get, every penny we receive... It's really God's. He entrusts it with us. And when he entrusts it with us, he asks us for a portion back. So it's really his, his trust fund. And so uh, disregarding his word by, by using his trust funds for our personal indulgences, for our personal benefit, for our personal comfort, um, is being deceived. I would go so far as to say that Paul would say um, maturity is determined this is a determining point of maturity in the faith, so God God is not mocked because if we 're not giving of ourselves to support the ministry of the word there's there's a sowing and reaping principle that comes into play so um, this word these words "God cannot be mocked" are very interesting. It carries the idea to turn up one 's nose at God or to turn up one 's nose almost like you know, like a little kid. Um, you touch that, and you're going to get burned. And you, the little kid goes, and they do it anyway. It's like, I'll show you. I, I'll show you, Mom. I'll show you, Mom, that, that you don't know what you're talking about. How many have kids that are smarter than them? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I have kids that are smarter than me, right? It's sort of like the turning up the nose, like, are you kidding me? You don't even know what you're talking about. This is is the idea that's carried here. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. In essence, he's saying to the Galatians, what you're doing, you're turning up your nose to God. You're trying to show him that you know more than he does. A man reaps what he sows. So God won't be sneered at by by anybody. Um, In other words... Paul finishes that statement, a man reaps what he sows, he's saying, the joke's on you. It's, it's, not, it's not that God doesn't know what he's talking about, and you, you turn your nose and as if you know. God knows what he's talking about. In fact, the joke's on you, Galatians. The joke's on you because you think you got God. And he's saying, no, you're affecting your own life by the way that you're sowing. You're affecting your own life. It's, it's impacting you. You may not see it, but the joke's on you. Now, I wonder why did God tie this topic to finances? And here's what I, what I think is the answer to that question. Because Jesus did. Did you ever notice that Jesus would always go back to the thing that's in a person's heart? You know, don't, don't store up for treasures. Don't store up treasures on earth where moss and, r- moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up treasures in heaven, right? You know, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And really, this concept is, if you trust me, if you're really walking with me, if you're walking by the Spirit... This is going to be something that you're, you're working on moving past, or you're way past. Like, you trust me. You trust God in this area. You, you trust Him because you know through either testimony you've heard or personal experience that He always comes through, He always demonstrates His goodness, He always is faithful. And so I don't want to be the kind of guy that's turning up my nose to God. I want to be like, I'm all in, God. I'm all in. And in this verse 7, verse 7 talks about the concept of sowing and reaping. Um, A man reaps what he sows. And as I was reading, I came across this statement that I thought it would be worth sharing. It said, when people won't give, there's something wrong in their walk with God. So what we see in this passage is some of the laws of harvest. They apply spiritually and naturally. One of them is you reap exactly what you've sown. You reap exactly what you've sown. If we plant apple seeds, we're not going to get a pear tree, right? We, we, we get what we sow. We reap exactly what we sow. And... Um, And so as we reap what we sow, generous giving results in something that is cool. Generous giving, which is a kind of sowing, right? It's a kind of sowing. Our generosity is a kind of sowing. It will result in generous blessing, which is a kind of reaping. Does this make sense? Um, So in reality, life is a series of choices about sowing and reaping. And I want to... This, this expands. And I, I don't want to stick on the money part. Because this actually encompasses more than finances. This passage. And I want to just... I want to honor the word of God as always. Because he says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And Paul said in the first verse I share with you, that shares all good things. The context is finances, but the reality is it's beyond finances. You know? And I could say uh, it encompasses time. It encompasses our, our labor. It encompasses what are we sharing with God? What are we sharing to make God's house better? What are we sharing to expand the ministry it's, it's giving of ourselves to make this place successful. It's inviting people week after week, you know. It's, it's going door to door and serving people to expand the kingdom of God. That with, this is sowing. This is sowing. So I got uh, a, a lame little illustration here. And I wanted to, forgive me, I'm probably going to be in trouble by Rob afterwards. But I've got these rainbow sprinkles, Okay. Because I couldn't find seeds. I couldn't find seeds. So, and I wanted something to be visible. The reality is, is Paul is saying this. He's saying that there's, if you could envision a field. And, you know, I'm a left-right kind of guy. So, it, on my left here is a field of the flesh. You understand? And on my right is a field of the spirit. And Paul is saying this principle is that we're, we're always sowing something, you know? The, the first one is that we, we will reap exactly what we sow, and we can sow to the flesh, or we can sow to the spirit, right? So, you know, I'm sowing to the, the flesh when, you know, I'm just giving into my self-indulgence, and sowing is like casting seed with an expected return, right? No farmer puts seed in the ground and doesn't have an expectation, do you understand? So, so we're casting seed, seeds that will lead either to destruction or corruption or to life. Like Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Which one do you think will result in life to the full? Are we sowing to our flesh? I'm just going to walk in bitterness. Oh, she makes me mad. I hate her. I'm never forgiving her. You know? Oh, there, there he is again. He's pompous and, and you know judgmental. and Well, what about you? You got problems too, right? And, and we're, we're sowing. Listen, we, we walk around and every day we make choices of sowing. And we're sowing to one side of our one aspect of our field or another. And I want that. I want my flesh field to be barren. I, I want it to be one of those ones that has no life. I want it to have ones that, you know, I want it to be a place that it's not bearing any fruit. I used to say it this way, because I made some stupid choices and I've sown a lot of bad seed. I would ask God, God, I ask for a crop failure. You know, I ask for a crop failure. Let that seed be bad seed. Now, please don't hear me. As I just go do whatever I want and then ask God for a crop failure and move on. And expect no, no uh, consequences, corruption, destruction is what Paul said. You know, I expect it to not yield anything. There's going to be a harvest. There's going, there's going to be a harvest. We're, we're all entering into a harvest time. And so the principle is you're going to reap what you sow. I want to be the kind of guy that is, is, is sowing to the Spirit. You know, I'm sowing, uh, I'm sowing generosity. I'm giving of my time. I'm loving people. I'm going out of my way to help them. I'm going out of my way to uh, uh, <laughs> to be an encouragement to people. I'm sowing good seed. It's going to bear good fruit. I'm believing it's going to fall on good ground. Right? I'm sowing to the Spirit. I'm growing in God. I'm not perfect. But I'm growing in God. I'm becoming more like Jesus. You see me a year from now, I better not look the same in the spirit. I better not look the same or something's wrong. I'll need more prayer if that's the case. You understand what I'm saying? I'll need a lot more prayer if that's the case. But I should be changing by the power of the spirit of God. I I can't work my way to change. Do you understand that? There's a difference. Flesh and spirit, I can't can't give enough strength and all that stuff to change, but by the Spirit, I'm led by Him. I respond to Him. I do what He says, and I'm changing. I'm transformed. This is what uh, a field of the Spirit looks like. So you, you can't sow to the flesh and complain that you're reaping destruction and corruption. Right? There's always that, there's going to be a harvest. You can't sow anger and bitterness and animosity and judgment and not expect some issues in your life. It's not okay to walk around like this and be okay with it. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to just live with your problems and not seek God for help and change. You understand? There's a big difference. He's the one who can change us. So, so we see this principle at work that what we sow, we will also reap. Another principle we'll see is this. That you reap far more than what you've sown. Yeah. A little acorn will yield a huge oak tree that drops a lot of acorns year after year. Uh, an apple Seed will yield an apple tree that year after year produces multitudes of seeds. A pumpkin seed. We're going to be seeing pumpkins around pretty soon. A pumpkin seed will yield uh, one plant that produces multitudes of pumpkins with multitudes of seeds in there. Right? So we, we see this principle in the natural that we reap far more than what we've sown. And Jesus even said this in the, in the sowing, the principle of the sower and the seed. That there's going to be a, a, there can be for seed that falls on good ground, a 30, 60, or 100 fold return. So this is good news for those who sow in the spirit. Right? Do I need to say the other side? Okay. It's good news for those who sow in the spirit. And the reality is this. Again, the context is financial, but it expands way beyond that. Please understand that. It expands way beyond financial. The context is financial. And that's why we're warned that that we do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Because we can ignore God, but we don't want to be people that laugh or mock Him to His face. And that's really, again the god cannot be mocked you you think you're getting away with it and in fact a lot of times we can look really spiritual on the front we can put up great fronts we can say the right words and everything but the reality is behind the scenes what are we sowing because we can we can we can deceive others but god can't be deceived you understand and finance is a, is a big one because no one knows what you give, you know? No one knows if you're a giver or not a giver, if you're generous, if you're, if you're holding on to stuff for your own pleasure. No one knows that, but God does, you know? And he's saying, this, this is something that you really should look at because when we think we're getting away with something, the Bible says you sow to the wind, but you reap a whirlwind. So this is good in a, in a spiritual, positive sense. It's not so good in a negative sense. You understand? Okay, so um, the first principle is that we always reap what we sow. The second one is we reap more than what we sow. And the third one is that we reap later than we've sown. Right? This is, this is very basic harvesting principles. You don't put a seed in there and expect that day to, to, to be picking corn or tomatoes or something. We reap later than we've sown. And this is where verse 9 comes into play. Verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. You've been doing good. You've been sowing. You've been faithful. Don't grow weary. Don't, Don't feel like God's not going to do anything. Don't feel like God's principles are not in play just because you, you haven't seen what you expected. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's a timing of God in play. And so we don't reap when we sow. We reap after or later than we sow. So this says that reaping requires patience and persistence we need to continue to sow in the absence of the harvest we can we need to continue to do good and be good towards people we need to continue to love people and we could i could be loving over here and saying but god what about this over here i'm believing you for it i'm waiting for it and i think all of us are in that place we're, we're pursuing and pressing into God in one area, but we're believing for a harvest in this other area still. Amen? I mean, is this true? Yeah. We're, we're still waiting on a harvest for, from God. And, and this could be tough. It could be painful. There could be ups, ups and downs in this process. We're waiting on the harvest from God. But it says that in the end we will we will uh, we will enjoy the harvest when it comes in. I, I want to share a football analogy with you. It's football's back in season, my team got crushed last week. But but for those who are Dallas Cowboy fans, you'll probably know the name Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith is the all time NFL leading rusher. In the last couple years of his 15 uh, year career he overtook Walter Payton from the Chicago Bears, who was formerly the all-time leading rusher. And Emmett Smith, he ran 18,355 yards. This little guy, 5'9", 221 pounds, ran 18,355 pounds. And that's the equivalent of 10 miles against opposing people that wanted to take his head off. He averaged 4.2 yards every time he ran. That means that he got knocked down 4,370 times in his career. More, actually, because there was times he wasn't running the ball that he got knocked down. These are people that are sometimes twice as, not maybe not 450 pounds, but much bigger than you, much stronger, out to just wipe you out. But you know what? He got up every time. And took the ball again and ran it again. This says something to us about perseverance and persistence. He didn't get to uh, become the all time NFL rushing champion by giving up, by quitting. No, he kept on going. He got up again, he got up again. And this is the kind of people we need to be, that we, we sow, we sow good seed. We sow to the Spirit, expecting a spiritual harvest. But you know, there may be times that we're like, God, when are you going to move? God, I'm waiting. God, I'm standing on your promises. It doesn't mean that we quit. This is what we see as we look at this last verse, because God wants us to not give up. That previous verse says, don't become weary in doing good. There will be a time you reap your harvest. In verse 10, it says this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. That word opportunity is kairos in the Greek. Kairos carries the idea of an opportune time or the right time. And so... In essence, God is opening doors for us. As, as he opens a door for us, we do good to all people. When is the door open? Well, you know, when a brother or sister, it says, especially to those family of believers, when a brother or sister has a deed. When is the door, when is the Kairos moment for us? When, when we're prompted by the Spirit to go out of our way to do something for somebody especially to the family of believers. So it's not closed out to people outside the church. But we should be taking care of one another. You understand? Financial time, uh, our talents. Some, some people need this fixed or this taken care of or this. They're not able to do it. They don't have the time. They don't have the know-how, you know. I, I just began to think, you know. First of all, I didn't want this to be a financial message in and of itself and it's really not that's just one piece although that's the underlying idea that maturity shows that if i'm walking by the spirit everything that i have is god's my talents my time my money everything that i do is sowing seed good seed or bad seed everything that i do is going to reap a harvest and i want to be the kind of guy that reaps a great harvest I want this world to be different by my generosity, by my kindness, by my love, you know? This is, this is what I'm believing for for this church, that we get over ourselves and, you know, the fact that I, I understand giving, giving money can be hard, but the reality is God's going to bless you for it. You may have been tithing forever, and you're waiting for that harvest. Just, just trust God. Listen, these aren't my promises. These are His. You may have been doing good for people forever. You know, and God, he promises to do good to you. These are what his promises are. So as we, as we put our faith and trust in God, we know that there will be a harvest. That's why I start off by saying a season of harvest is coming. That's a fact. That's what the Bible tells us. This is what Paul is teaching here. There's a harvest coming. But I want you to be a reaper of, of one from one that you sowed to the Spirit, And you begin to reap these benefits that just overtake you. You know? I I think of David, how he wrote Psalm 23. He says, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Can you just envision, like wherever I go, whatever I do, I got goodness and mercy following me. The goodness of the Lord, the mercy of God, it follows me. I, I can go into dark places. I can go... I could be uh, in a place where I'm not sure of what I'm doing, but I know I got goodness and mercy behind me, following me all the days of my life. This is what Paul is calling the Galatians to. You know, he's saying people who are led by the Spirit go beyond just, um, I can't do this and I can do this, but I am, I'm a reflection of who God is. I am, I'm, I'm a reflection of God on this earth. When people see me, when people see you, do they see you and all your failures and all your weaknesses and and more of the flesh than what God has done? Or do do they see reflections of Jesus in you? Not perfect. No one's perfect. But we're going after something that's greater than us. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I want to close in prayer for you. We'll have the ministry team come up. As always, if you're here to receive healing, you're brokenhearted, you're believing for something, you need a word, a prophetic word, um, come. These these people will minister to you and minister to your heart. God is good. And so, Father, today I bless your people, God. Father, today I pray that we cross the line of holding back. We cross the line of holding back, God. We want to be reapers of good. We want to be reapers, people who reap. A harvest, God, that reflects our reaping, our consistent, our faithful, our perpetual reaping to the Spirit or sowing into the Spirit and reaping from that same field, God. Father, I I bless you. I ask that our eyes are open, Father, on a day-to-day basis to show us what we're sowing our lives into, what we're giving our lives for, because we want our lives to count. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to make a difference, God. And so today, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, we say, God, here we are. Father, change our hearts. Help us to stay in step with you, God. We bless you. I bless your people today in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you guys. We love you.